Welcome to Have a Life Teaching, the podcast designed for educators who are dedicated to enhancing their teaching practice and creating a positive impact on their students' lives. In each episode, we'll dive deep into the world of education, exploring a wide range of topics related to curriculum, instruction, and assessment in K-12 schools. Together, we'll learn from the brightest minds in the education field. So if you're a passionate educator who's ready to take your teaching practice to the next level, join us as we explore the exciting world of education. My name is John Shimbari, signing in and saying, let's have a life teaching. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another exciting episode of Have a Life Teaching Podcast. One issue that I don't think people listening to this podcast are going to find surprising as an issue of or a topic of interest, and that's the topic of burnout. Lord knows that during COVID, we had a lot of teachers who just completely maxed out because of the demands that were placed on them during that pandemic, and that really hasn't changed. Tonight, what we're really going to focus on is how teachers can avoid burnout, really protect themselves, live well, teach well. And for that, I'm really excited to have Sybil Hall joining us as our next guest on the podcast. She is a well-being coach and the author of the brand new wonderful book, Burn Bright, Not Out. So there's no one better to be talking about how to avoid burnout and again, how to maintain our well-being as educators. So Sybil, thank you so much for being on the show. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Sybil, I always like to ask my guests a little bit about them first. So how did you become an educator and how did teacher well-being become an area within the profession that you wanted to focus your attention on? Yeah, well, I'm a third generation teacher. So I actually got a a scholarship in college when I was getting my master's for being a third generation teacher. So it's always been in my family and just what I wanted to do. So I absolutely love um, teaching. I've taught in five countries around the world and different international schools as well as the U.S. public schools. And I've been an instructional coach as well for eight years. And, you know, I've just always been that like driven, hardcore um, teacher who wants the best for their students, like many of and all of our listeners are today, I'm sure. And it really has served me really well. I've had uh, amazing opportunities to um, just grow as a professional. And basically, I started feeling a little bit burnt out during COVID when many, many people did. It was pretty tough. And I found myself working around the clock. And um, I realized that I, I didn't want to do that anymore. I wanted something different. So I wasn't sure what that different thing was, but I knew I wanted to explore a passion, we might say, or find something else to help myself balance life a little bit more. I was always grounded when I would come home and my kids, you know, needed me for homework and dinner. And and if I wasn't my best self, because I'd given so much during the day, like many of us that teach and our parents to do, my kids would get the worst of me. So, you know, over the years, I like went in and out of doing a better job, you know, being a mom and 
an educator and other times I did worse. And at this point I was like, I'm, I'm going to change this. I'm going to do something different. And so I was living in Belgium at the time and we were allowed to go out into the forest and walk freely as much as we wanted during, during the pandemic. And so basically I started spending a lot of time. We just got a new puppy in the Belgian forest with my husband, just kind of dreaming, like, where could we go next? What might we want to do next? Um, I'm going to keep teaching teachers, you know, great pedagogical practices because I just love it and love to make an impact on them. And I want something else. And what I found was my own well-being. And what I realized is that the teachers all around me really benefited from me going through that experience and transformation as well. And so this book, Burn Bright Not Out, 35 Lessons That Cultivate Teacher Well-Being, was really born in that forest. So what I started doing was just paying attention to daily actions that I could take to feel better and to feel more balanced and be able to come home and be the best mom after being the best coach and teacher as well. And so that's really the story of my teaching experience and where this book came from. I love it. And again, the fact that you came to this epiphany during COVID when so many people were stressing out about teachers is, I think, very interesting. You know, I think we've already more or less led into the why we should talk about this. Both you have and I have. But if you had a given elevator pitch, so to speak, around why well-being, why do we need to focus on this why, and maybe this is even more a question for administrators who are working with and supporting teachers rather than the, well, in addition to the teachers themselves, but why do we want to focus on this? Yeah, that's a great question. So really what I've learned is that we can show up as a better teacher and a better coach, a better administrator, better leader when we're learning, when we're taking care of ourselves first. If you go into work stressed out because you had a rough morning at home with the kids, you're you're not going to project your best self at that moment in time, right? So I had to learn if I had a rough morning, um, for example, that maybe I want to take a ling- longer walk to get into school that day to give myself time to become more well so I can show up and be well for my students. That's really the the biggest why behind this is people that are driven like teachers are, are often performing at a more stressful state than a calm, well state. And so if if we show up in our classrooms and our offices in a stressed state, we're going to react in that same way. Really learning to take care of myself and to give myself time every single day, not waiting for weekends, not waiting for breaks to recover, but learning to recover every single day, I was able to be a better teacher, a better coach, and build better relationships. Honestly, it all comes down to the relationship with your students and those around you. So learning to take care of yourself and love yourself really lets you perform at your best when you're at work as well. Exactly. And it's funny that you're talking about being, you know, your best self when you come to school, right? So I I teach student teachers at Brooklyn College. And one of my students the other day, because we were practicing interviewing skills, because they're about to get their certifications, their licenses, and go out and actually teach for, not for real, because I think they have been doing it for real, but under their licenses. And one of the teachers was saying, 
in her answer that she's very good at separating her personal and her private life. And what I found interesting about that is, I don't know, maybe she really is Sybil, but in a way it's almost sad that you have to bifurcate yourself and be like almost like two people, one at home and one at work. I, I don't completely buy it. I, I, I think it comes from her heart and I think she's striving for that. But I don't know if any of us can completely divest ourselves of our halves or to make the whole. So to your point about, I, I don't think it's about forgetting your, you know, your private self and, and, you know, just focusing on work and it doesn't work. So I think your strategies about acknowledging our emotions and acknowledging where we are and then not forgetting that or not dismissing that, but figuring out how to manage that and how to cope with those makes us ultimately a more effective uh, educator. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I agree. I think uh, we are, you know, more of a whole being, right, in the way that you're talking about it. And we can we can intentionally put in breaks to do our personal well-being, you know, for five minutes at lunch. Oftentimes teachers are working through lunch, right? And they feel like they have to, and they might have to at that point in time. But can you start taking baby steps by making sure that you at least walk around the building or, you know, something for five minutes on that lunch break as well? There's a way to, to balance it and to allow yourself, because I'm also a big fan of getting into flow. And so you can get into flow at work and yes, it becomes your hundred percent professional life and say, I would always joke because I wouldn't remember to call the dentist for my son or something, right? Because I was so in the flow at work, but was I really in the flow at work or had I just not like scheduled it on a calendar, right? Just simple things like scheduling on a calendar are taking care of yourself are helping you be well, because you don't have to try to hold it up here. Oh, I have to call the dentist today on my lunch break. It's in my calendar. Right. So there's really simple things that you can do to bring that whole person to work and show up because you are you you don't separate them completely. I totally agree. Well, you just set me up really well, Sybil, for my next question, which was going to be and I think it still can be. What are some simple strategies that teachers can use to regulate their stress, to maintain their well-being? while they're teaching during the school day. You already mentioned scheduling and actually having a schedule. Uh, I myself am a work in progress on that. I finally have, I believe, synced all my calendars onto my phone. And I, although I'm not going to claim I'm an expert at it, Sybil, it has helped. So I think your suggestion about making sure that you put things down in a schedule so you don't forget things and things don't fall through the cracks which let's face it is very easy to do as teachers when we're doing 300 things at one time. What else would you recommend? What are some of the strategies you recommend in your book? Yeah, great question. So just to kind of stick with the scheduling a little bit more because there's so much you can do with scheduling. Also giving ownership to your students with scheduling, but not only like using a Google calendar and scheduling your day, um, realistically with a five minute close, I'm really big about opening and closing of your teaching sessions because that's what our brain remembers the most. 
But I found as a teacher, I'd be like, oh my God, look at the clock. It's, it's, it's two o'clock. We got to get to PE. And so I started putting five extra minutes in my schedule. So I would end literacy block five minutes earlier. That way I knew I would close, right? So I had my students use a timer on my, my board and it would end five minutes early. And then we could make sure we closed, we reflected, we restated the teaching point, whatever you might want to do, that closure is so important. And we were all in a, a better well place because we all realized, okay, we're closing literacy. We're getting ready to transition to PE, right? So transitions are a time for students, but also us adults when we feel overwhelmed. I think you just hit it right on the head when you said, Transitions are for both teachers and students, because one thing that you're saying that's really resonating with me, Sybil, is often when we talk about transitions, we talk about the benefit of transitions for kids, for students, getting them ready for the next thing. But I think you hit on something really important here when it's also a way for teachers to regulate the pacing of their own day where they're not starting to get overwhelmed or frustrated that they're already behind the clock that exactly. maintaining that schedule, so to speak. And so another one I would say that's sticking in the digital realm, since that's where we are, there's lots of non-digital stuff in here that I'll share too, but um, is decluttering your digital space. So there's a lot of overwhelm um, just when you get to your computer to do that lesson planning, to do that data input, whatever we need to do on our computers. And you get there and you have 500 emails and you have a messy desktop, right? That, that takes up cognitive load that you don't need to take up. It, it feels like chaotic and you feel overwhelmed. So decluttering, scheduling time to declutter your digital space. Is, is a is a really important thing to do. And that's something you have to do monthly or weekly or, you know, another thing that I, I like to do that really helps with well-being in the digital space is only checking emails once a day. So as teachers, mm -hmm. we feel like we have to respond right away. We have to check emails. And I understand that some schools have different policies on that for different reasons. But if you can schedule a time to check your emails, and, and check them and respond to ones that you can at that point within 24 hours. I think that's a very realistic um, expectation. And it, it takes a lot of load off of you of feeling like I have to respond right away. And we know that our emotional response right away is often not the best one anyway. Waiting is good for a variety of reasons. So if you only let yourself check those emails, you know, once or twice a day versus every half hour when you have a break, it's it's a it's a huge way to kind of relieve some of that um, that anxiety or that push that we might feel. A big one for me is waking up an hour earlier, and I had an hour of writing time dedicated to just getting my ideas and words onto paper, and I loved it. I was like, I this is my creative time of the day, and out of that. I ended up um, just evolving into this really nice morning routine that I still do today with my husband. And we do a little bit of yoga together. We have coffee together. I have my creative time. And it's just transformed me because I get to have all this time at the beginning of the day for me, my husband, our relationship. And then I'm ready to go off and have this incredible day, you know, with my students and teachers. And so the morning routine has been a, a really transformational thing that I've worked on. 
What would you say has been the steps or the suggestions or strategies from your book that have really resonated with people? There's 35 short stories and each short story has what I call invitations, inviting you to join me in whatever the lesson of that story is. And so their prompts, their questions, their um, kind of exercises, and they're for both you, the, the reader, the teacher, and for you to use with your students. So uh, I also relate the, the different lessons to the SEL, the social emotional learning castle standards in the book. So it just helps you as the teacher kind of know what you're, you're addressing with the kids. But what people have told me is the morning routine that that kind of carries through a few different stories, different aspects of that has been a really transformational for them. I, in fact, I put just put a poll on LinkedIn today, I think, um, kind of asking, hey, readers, what, what strategies are working best for you? It's really strange being an author because you don't get a lot of feedback, right? right. Like it's teachers, we get feedback all the time. And you just put this book out there and you don't get a lot of feedback on it. Um, people are like, you know, in the reviews, this, it was really helpful. I was like, what was helpful? Please tell me. Well, you said you did this poll. What were the choices that you gave folks? So I gave morning routine, batching, meditation, and making your goals public. Oh, could you talk us through some of those different options? Yeah, the making your goals public is kind of a fun one. So a lot of people either love goals or hate goals. And we're either like goal makers and we go for it. Or we're like, no, like, it's not for me. I can never meet them. Like, you know, you kind of have the the lizard brain on it. So um, goals, there's a lot of research and science behind goals and why we should set them and how well they work. Yet we have a lot of this resistance. So um, I write a story about going public with your goals. And basically the idea is that when you tell somebody you have some accountability, you say your goal out loud publicly, like I could say goal to you right now, you are more likely to meet that goal and work towards that goal than if you just keep it to yourself. Even if you write it down, that's a step in the right direction to meeting it. But if nobody else knows about it, it's much easier to get away with sabotage, whatever it may be, not meeting that goal. And then the other piece of that is also going public with your result, whether you met the goal or not, or maybe you changed the goal. A lot of times people think that changing goals isn't a good idea, but really changing goals takes some awareness. Is it still where you want to go? Is it, am I, is it attainable? You know, did I, I set too short of a time limit if it's a smart goal, for example. So changing the goalpost you could reframe that as to actually a really positive thing because you have to be aware where aware of where you are and aware of where you want to go. Exactly. And making that goal public so your teacher colleagues can help you think through those goals. Well, making them public might help you to see yourself through a stumbling block in reaching that goal because now you have others helping you think through that goal. Exactly. And from their different perspectives too, right? Of, of the possibility of reaching that goal. And then even too, what's resonating with what you're saying for me is also making those goals public means you are establishing 
in a very simplistic way, but important way, uh, a culture of collaboration. And a lot of times I think teachers get stressed out because they think they have to do everything on their own. And maybe this gets to your point even about scheduling. And maybe this is more for the administrators to ensure or to at least make it easier for teachers to find time during the day within the schedule to have that professional learning collaboration. Definitely. And just it builds it builds uh, trust. Right. Um, you're, you know, build, sharing your goals, trusting people's input towards them, talking about the results or hopefully also progress monitoring, you know, monitoring, monitoring as you go. It really builds relationships and trust as well. And you're in this together. I also found that it, it inspires others. Because some people will set bigger, loftier goals, and some people will will not. They want they need to be safe. Like I've got to meet this goal, so I'm going to be a little safe. Where I found I'm the kind of person who likes to dream big and and set stupid goals sometimes, not smart goals, but stupid goals. Where it's just like so far out there that it can really inspire different thinking and divergent thinking, and it can really inspire your colleagues. Be like. Oh, there are way more ways we can do this. There's there's more possibilities out there, right? If we like really, really go big sometimes. So I think inspiring your colleagues that way is really powerful as well. So yeah. again, I think the stress we put on ourselves is when we can't see the trees from the forests. And to use your your Belgian forest metaphor, mm -hmm. right? Uh, when, you, when you can't see the trees from the forest, Having others helping you do that can help us get over those blocks that I think cause us a lot of unnecessary stress and anxiety. I agree. So you also mentioned batching. What's batching? So batching, if you think about cooking a batch of cookies, you, you don't just cook one or two cookies. You make a whole pan. That's We also batch our laundry oftentimes. We don't do one little load. Actually, some people do, but batching laundry would be what I do on the weekends. I do the whole household's laundry. I do the sheets and the towels. I do the clothes. It's uh, putting things together that are similar. So to apply that to an educational context, what I found really effective was batching lesson planning. So putting a time in your schedule, a good chunk of time, a couple hours, versus just a half hour block and pumping out the whole week's lesson plans. Or if you're in charge of one of, you know, the science unit or something, batching, uh, batching that time to just work on the science curriculum. Rather than doing a little bit each day, you're taking a longer chunk of time and doing it, getting that one task done pretty much. So my lesson planning is done for the week. You'd be surprised of how many teachers that you probably see this in your coaching too. just lesson plan day by day. And I definitely adjust my lesson plans and help teachers adjust lesson plans because you do need to be responsive and see where your students are going and use your data and such. But if you have that skeleton 80% ready for the week, during a batching time, it's super easy to make those little moves that you need to make to adjust things. But if you're coming up with a new lesson, the whole next thing each day, it's going to take you twice or more time than it would if you batched it, put it all together. Agreed. Very similar advice to what I've given some folks that I've coached as well. Uh, in fact, it's how I do my social media posts, by the way, Sybil. 
I actually write them on the weekends and then time them to be released during the week. I was really intrigued when you said that you were an international educator and that you've worked and taught in five different countries. I think you said five. Yeah. Do you see any differences in the way countries support their teachers on well-being? Do you see a difference in terms of how well-being of teachers is prioritized or not prioritized? Yeah, for sure. So international schools are um, a microcosm of the greater culture, right? So at every school, we were in Rome, Italy, we were in um, Shanghai, China, Dubai, and Brussels, Belgium, and then here in the States. And each school in their own way mirrored their country's culture. And I would say that the well-being aspects of how, you know, teachers uh, felt in the school, in the school, how teachers, um, you know, just even simple things like having a real stringent start and stop time. That can be stressful for teachers rather than feeling like I can make a decision if I have to go to a dentist appointment to leave a little early onto this day without having to talk to my my supervisor, for example. So those kinds of things, and I, I would think that would vary school to school no matter what, but those kinds of things, yes, I felt a difference. I guess it's a priority of the teacher being well so they can serve their students. It's it's a it's that train of thought rather than the train of thought of your your sole purpose is to educate these these children. So some of the schools definitely more prioritize the the employee, the the teacher making sure that their work environment was a place where they felt safe, for example, a place where they, you know, were a part of a community. But also I would generalize international schools, even though I was in these completely different countries and cultures from each other, as being places where it's a whole bunch of expats from different countries, all living and working together. And so we had like built-in community and connection because we were all away from our family and home countries, right? And so that allows it almost to be a culture of like, we really got to care for each other and ourselves because you are far away from home and that kind of thing. So I I as well taught overseas in Saudi Arabia. And, And to your point about having that culture of well-being and having to care for one another because they are your supports when you're far away from your family. And again, because of the other educators either come from your home culture or at least are familiar with it if they're working, for example, in an American school and you're in an American school. So I would say that is what I experienced as well. That sense of of community and well-being being, being crucial to be successful in that environment. So Sybil, we talked about a lot of things. Is there anything that we haven't talked about well-being in schools that, or an aspect of your book that you feel that we should talk about? Yeah, so there is, one thing we haven't talked about is there is really, there's two parts here, right? There's the personal well-being, which is what my book really targets is, is you as a as a the teacher as a person and then there's the institutional well-being there that's a really important part about avoiding and preventing burnout as well and there's some um people doing some really good work or research around that but that's just one thing that hadn't come up yet that we should keep in mind is 
is we have a role to play in our own health and well-being and our institutions do as well. Um, I guess we did talk about that a little bit with our international part there. The, so that's that's something just, I guess, to keep in mind. So my book really addresses um, your personal well-being and your, your own self-care. And I really hope that it's just inspires teachers to take care of themselves and prioritize themselves. And I, and I, I put a lot of ideas in there in a really short, simple way, because I think that everybody could take away something different that way um, and benefit, benefit from it. And the stories are all from my time abroad. So also teachers, you asked me earlier, like what's resonating with people? A lot of people are just really enjoying learning about, you know, the international life and being an expat and that, you know, people wouldn't know that there's a forest in Belgium and Brussels, for example. Um, but I lived in the forest. The school was in a UNESCO, in the same UNESCO World Heritage Site, you know. So that's kind of a fun aspect of my book as well, if you're interested in um, international education and just travel in general, is I really share a lot of different experiences from those years abroad. Where can people find out more about you and the work that you do? Yeah, the best place to go is um, my book's website. It's www.sybilhall.com forward slash book. So it's S-Y-B-I-L-H-A-L-L. And I'm sure that can be in the show notes and such. It's in 15, I think, 12 or 15 different countries on Amazon right now. And then you can also join my weekly newsletter if you'd like to. I am a wealth and well-being coach. So I also uh, talk about wealth. Uh, there's a couple stories in the book about building your financial well-being as well. It's a, it's a really important uh, aspect that we as teachers often completely ignore because I don't know about you, but my mindset was I'm here to serve my students it's not about making money. That's that's um, that's what business people do. That's what other people do. But I learned that that's not true. Um, we deserve wealth as teachers just as much or maybe more. <laughs> so um, I also am launching some things next week, some Money Ninja for Educator products offerings next week, uh, getting that wealth aspect a little bit up together with the well-being, personal well-being aspect. This has been great. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you so much, John. Thanks, Sybil. Thank you for listening today. I hope you got some great tips that you can bring back into your teaching. Remember, have a life teaching without sacrificing your own. Also, don't forget to subscribe and be well.